Cut the music. Cut it all. Cut it all. Stop. We're not here. We're doing it again. Um, we got shit to talk about. Um, there is very, very big shit to talk Do about. No, stop it. No, none of that. None of that this week. <laughs> we have we have very important, very real things to talk about. Um, and then we have to get an episode in. So we we none of the, none of this we up do. top. We are we are diving right in, David. Um, uh, David, no lead in. Explain what's going on right now in Israel and Palestine. Okay, so, um, and I, I believe it's pronounced uh, Sheikh uh, Sheikh Jarrah, but it's basically a uh, a township of East Jerusalem. Okay, and so in uh, Jerusalem properly, and it's it's uh, Arabic name Alhuts. And so this is, this is East Jerusalem. Okay. And the reason it's, it's East Jerusalem is, of course, uh, from the Green Line split from the 1948 Nakba, uh, which Israel is the one that violently created that. And then Israel, of course, does not follow that. Um, and, and we've talked a little bit about or alluded to the, the long history of Israel. You know, Zionism dates back to the 1890s. Um, it was always a settler colonial ideology. Uh, there were, uh, including certain Orthodox Jews that thought it was against the Jewish religion because only God is supposed to send you to that land and, and the temple was torn down. Um, there are a lot of people that were against it at the time. There were a lot of people that were, f- there are a certain amount of people that were for it at the time, but obviously much smaller because it wasn't constructed in what it was today. It was truly this idea of settling the Holy Land. Um, and then, of course, you know, early 20th century, there were some settlements and things, uh, but it wasn't it wasn't this full blown like settler colonial ethnic cleansing that is morphed into. And then 1938, um, so, uh, there's still no Israel. There's still these settlements. Uh, they've been growing, and in the meantime, uh, Great Britain, famous for carving up uh, West Asia, uh, right after World War II. Um, but also, you know, in, in the former Ottoman Empire, uh, but also um, famous for, you know, apartheid in South Africa, where their diamond capital, Johannesburg, was, started mining diamonds uh, for about, I think it was about 10 different companies uh, in a very, you know, kind of loosey-goosey, disorganized fashion that allowed them very free market uh, in 1938, okay? And, of course, you know, huge, huge diamond capitals, Tel Aviv. And then about 10 years later, the market started crashing really bad for that, okay? And and it turned out the whole disorganized free market of the diamonds was not working out for Great Britain, who, again, has already established apartheid um, in South Africa as a, a system to, you know, uh, ethnically cleanse and uh, colonize a region for diamond mines. And of course, you know, uh, feelings were, were very high um, with sympathy for, for the Jews, even, um, you know, even when you compare Jewish people to like, you know, Romani or Serbs, the other ethnic groups that were in the Holocaust, they just made up a larger sheer number, yeah. even if the, the per capita was, was terribly similar. Um, and the Zionism ideology had already existed. And so, you know, Great Britain did a big thing where they kind of sold everyone um, in order to stabilize their diamond mine, diamond business, this new state of Israel that was suddenly going to be a real big alliance. And I'm sorry, that was 1947 when that happened. And then uh, in 1948 was the Nakba, uh, the violent expulsion of millions of Palestinians and the splitting of Palestine into uh, Gaza and the West Bank. I believe at the time they're still interconnected and there was even a northern um, still uh, 
Palestinian region. Uh, and then, of course, that expanded in 1967. It's expanded in 2009, 2014, 2016 um, was the last one. Seems right. And then, of course, this year. This year, um, they continue expanding. And uh, so these settlements, what they do is like Gaza is – and the Gaza is the actual the, – the side facing the sea is not allowed to import, export. It's basically a giant open-air prison as it's been described for many years by anybody who knows anything about it. They don't control their electricity. They don't control their water. They're not given proper clean water uh, in that case because of Israel. They have no resources. They're treated like like a contained – uh, mass. It's it's a very very you know essentially a, a deprecated, overcrowded version of of the reservations in America, and we know what sort of ethnic cleansing um, that structure is. Um, and so with that, now Israel trying to move in more has pushed more settlements in the West Bank. A bunch of Israelis have just moved in, taking people's homes, kicking them out. Uh, you know, claiming they have deeds to, to titles, which of course doesn't make any sense because first off, it's Israel who creates the law and they don't have any jurisdiction there. It's supposed to be this, this two state solution and that's Palestine. Uh, not that Israel's ever, ever followed that. Secondly, they wouldn't accept uh, Palestinians' papers. And third off, you know, I mean, if they control these courts, they're just going to make it rule whatever they want. And so that's essentially what they've done. So they've said, doesn't matter if you live here. doesn't matter if you have valid papers. Even if you didn't, this is somewhere your family's lived for centuries. There's no reason someone should just randomly kick you out of the home and claim they own it without compensating you at all or having any real right to claim it. And they're still doing that uh, with the you know violence of the state backing them and a rubber stamp of, of validity from that. And while they're doing that, um, they're getting pushbacks and, and protests, of course, and uh, so right at the beginning of Aid in uh, Al-Aqsa Mosque, which is the third holiest site in Islam, they start the IDF starts terrorizing Palestinians in what eventually is right now an airstrike uh, over Gaza. And Hamas, a fighting group of, of uh, Palestinians, um, the most popular kind of group in the region, uh, kind of along the lines ideologically, uh, like, you know, Hezbollah and, uh, you know, the, uh, um, I suddenly have lost the, the, the term for the Iranian oh. ideology oh, no. and, and party power. Oh no, I got nothing. I'm out. Uh, okay. Okay. Yeah. No, I mean, Thursday, brain mush. Okay. So, Iran. Okay. Same same kind of ideology as Iran, as Hezbollah and Lebanon, um, who, of course, you know, has fought off Israel before. That's kind of where they became famous, right? Is, is fighting for, for land with Israel um, and, and defending Lebanon against Israel. And so Hamas, this, this separate group with the same ideology, so they're tightly linked, you know, ideologically in cooperation with each other, but they are very different, disparate groups. Uh, Hamas has started launching rockets back into Israel, standing up for themselves, which is fantastic. And there's a surprising and a pleasant way, um, kind of uprising and, and center of attention of people sympathizing with Palestinians, which is something that we're not used to. No. Um, used to be the, the media controls everything and they still, have, I mean, they definitely tried to whitewash stuff. They, they did the neutral language. They played around the, the, you know, the headlines. They did the different coverage. They, they, you know, misuse the term anti-Semitism, um, replace anti-Zionism, 
uh, with by calling it anti-Semitism, which is uh, of course you know very grotesque. Yeah, that's a racket, right? That's Jews a racket Zionist. right there of, of if you oppose yeah. Zionism and and this this experiment of right. a complete ethnic genocide of the Palestinian people. Suddenly, it's the only way you can do that is if you if you hate the Jewish people. Uh, well. And also, I mean, a big tenet of that is that it says that Israel is your homeland, right? Well, if Israel is your homeland, that's saying you don't belong other places. So that's saying people be right to, I don't know, ethnically clench you other places. I mean, it's incredibly anti-Semitic in and of itself, Zionism in and of itself, yeah. right? And of course, I mean, it's picked up by the right wings, it's picked by the establishment, and it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what the theory has to do. It doesn't matter what religion people are. I mean, Jews peacefully lived in Palestine, along with Christians and Muslims for, you know, centuries, right? Um, what's at stake here, and this is another way the media is starting to spin it. It's supposed to be this older than time, holy war, right? Kind of the same thing they do when they bullshit with like Sunnis and Shias and stuff, right? Mm-hmm. They just, they, they just make up that it's a holy war just to, to try to move the material conditions away. Uh, but what Israel really stands for is Western interests. Um, it's a settler colony that serves Western interests in the region. You know, it serves the diamond business. It serves, uh, military training, uh, specifically, you know, the U S military cooperates with the IDF. And in my mind, it's, it's much more the U S military training the IDF. And then of course that cycles back to, to training U S police. Uh, but they, you know, quote unquote work together in these trainings. And there is something, uh, that the U S military gets out of it. Um, so they serve, you know, an immense amount in the region. Something else they serve in the region, of course, is, um, you know, an example that came up is Dan Cohen did a good job of, of covering. There was a, uh, Zahari activist whose family and the way, the way he put it, it was his mother, um, had to watch her daughters in, in content warning. We're going to talk about you know colonial violence and rape. That's just something that comes with the territory. His his mother had to watch her two daughters get raped. I don't know if that means you know his his sisters or half sisters or whatever, right? But these two women got raped as an attack on the activist um, for for fighting for uh, Zahari people because Western Sahara is a Moroccan outpost that serves Western imperialism as well. Well, Western Sahara, when it was first formed, it was the U.S. and Saudi Arabia and Morocco that went in and basically, you know, pushed uh, Zahari people back into the desert very violently. And as soon as that calmed down, you know, Saudi Arabia went back to business. U.S. went back to using Morocco, selling tons of weapons to them, using them as a great, you know, ally to, to U.S. Western imperialism, considering they're right there on the Strait of Gibraltar um, and on the west coast of Africa. Uh, but, you know, Morocco didn't really – you're not going to hold off a population that well. And so Mossad made secret deals and worked with them and, and helped them basically suppress uh, the – the SADR, or, I'm sorry, the, uh, uh, um, so anyway, so, so when the, uh, Polisario front was fighting back against Morocco, it was Mossad and secret deals that, that helped suppress that. So this is, you know, very interwoven. That's not exactly the only thing that, that Israel does. There's a lot of evidence that Israel, you know, even very recently, right, was, uh, helping with the, uh, balkanization of Syria, not only with their own fighting forces and the same way, you know, the CIA and the U.S. cooperated with, uh, local fighters and there was a bunch of al-qaeda and isis people embedded in the sdf uh but of course you know i mean there was captured isis fighters that were found with israeli weapons um so i mean obviously you know israel's a big part of that Uh, and so i lost track where it was 
Oh, so so Israel kind of serves, you know, all these Western purposes. That's what it is. It's it's the the West's main puppet state. It's the U.S. It's two big puppet states. Ultimately, are Israel and Colombia. Those are the the main ones. It doesn't mean there aren't tons of other, you know, I mean, U.S. puppets out there, but Israel and Colombia are the biggest ones. And and that's something else going on too. And not to forget is that in Colombia, there's also immense uprisings because of uh, Duque's raises in taxes uh, and, of course, his poor handling of COVID, too. So there's a lot going on, but we can't even get over to talking about Colombia um, because because it's such a big deal what's going on in, in uh, Israel. And it's also kind of amazing, too, because Israel's pushed for a long time this Iron Dome, this unstoppable Iron Dome that's going to knock down any kind of rockets or firepower or anything launched at Israel. Well, Hamas seemed to have a plan about that, and that Iron Dome is not intercepting many of the rockets Hamas is firing back. Now, unfortunately, Israel is still far more violent. Um, you know, people are coming in, they're destroying Palestinian businesses uh, in uh, Lida, which it was a town that was actually lost to Israel in the 1948 Nakba, um, and going under the name Lod since then. And Palestinians essentially won it back. They they overcame Israeli forces the first night. But, you know, now, of course, Israelis are going in there. They're um, pelting the mosque uh, with artillery. They're destroying businesses. They're marking people's homes that are Palestinians on who to come after and who to attack. Um, and, and you know, I mean, it's it's an out-and-out pogrom. It's, it's terrifying there. Uh, because Palestine won something back. Uh, but in spite of that, in spite of because of the, those horrible things, because of how well armed Israel is, it's still, you know, for every, uh, Israeli that dies, there's nine Palestinians that die because this is an out and out genocidal ethnic cleansing by the much, much more powerful Israel. It is shocking how well Hamas is fighting back this time because the Iron Dome was nothing. Um, and Hamas seems very, very confident and is hitting several Israeli sites on the way in, including seemingly taking out some of even what's left of the Iron Dome radar, according to their reports. Yeah. And I'm I, I, we had this we had this conversation in uh, in group ch- in in that group chat. It's just you and me. There's, that's a very small group to be chatting with. <laughs> but uh, um, we, we had this conversation where I, I you know, I, I am well-meaning, but dumb. Um, in a lot of this sense. So it, it is heartbreaking. So that, that is the nature of Twitter is I, you know, I'm seeing all of this, um, and seeing the, the activists and the people on the ground that are reporting what's going on. Um, and it is a, it is a helpless and, and profound sadness to see, to see this happening and to see no out, no global outrage about it to see, you know, Oh, the house today got up and all of the squad and all the people got up and said their nice things. Corey Bush said that St. Louis stands with Palestine and okay. Thanks Corey. I appreciate it. Um, <laughs> but I, 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 I still don't think anything meaningful will come of any of this. Yeah. Um, I think it's just posturing. Yeah. I mean, well, that's the importance of, you know, protesting and that's where I was saying, I am surprised pleasantly about how much pushback, on the ground people are, are, are giving because, you know, the media is still trying to, to paper over it, but there's a bunch they have to admit to this time. I mean, there's only so much they can hide. That's one of the, the, you know, there's, 
yeah video the, the just the video of what's mm-hmm. happening the live kind of this is the first one that i mean it's being live streamed to everyone everyone can see it and it's just it's disgust it, it feels so gross to see the Israel, the, the IDF and Israel's own Twitter presence, you know, go, oh, it was a real long night. They Like Israel feeling like they're a Tumblr tween yeah. going on about a, a rough one and, and getting, oh, guys, shout outs. For, what is good? You're a global entity. Yeah. Don't act like a teen on Twitter. Like this is not pr- broadcasting that you're about to do war crimes and, and then watching the video of it happen in real time is... It, it just it gives it is a there's a feeling of um I mean complete solidarity with any any comrades in in Palestine any comrades in the region um anyone that is that is I I, I think back to that you know if you don't shudder at every injustice you're no comrade of mine I'm yeah. bastardizing that quote I'm sure but this is one of those moments where I just I feel a profound sense of of anger and and yeah it's it, it is it is hard to watch it's it, yeah there's something. The primary feeling that comes out of this and that should come out of this and that should always be your feeling is that, you know, I mean, this is this is tragic. Like I, I mentioned moments ago, um, you know, for every uh, Israeli life that that's taken by Hamas fighting back, uh, there's nine Palestinians who have died. You know, this is it's it's uneven war. It's always uneven war, and it's uneven war to, to it's not really a war. It's just an uneven attack and genocide and ethnic cleansing. It's a complete. It's a complete uneven power struggle, and yes. this is something that I, I saw a video of Michael. I saw a video of Michael Brooks because uh, someone had asked me, you know, because everyone does it. Oh, it's a very complex situation. Yeah. Oh, it's a very comp. It's very complex. Very complex. And he's like, no, no, it's not. It's not complex. It's not complex at all. It's a group with. It's a completely asymmetrical power imbalance mm-hmm. between two between two peoples. You have a group that is a state sanctioned. Um, entity with the backing of the entire backing of full backing of the west full support from from the united states and all their yes. allies um d- conducting an ethnic cleansing on a group that if this was reversed if this was if you complete if you did a thought experiment and completely reversed it and it was you know oh there were a bunch of uh the, you know the, the the an arab government had set up a, a, a two-state solution with an open-air prison where they were imprisoning jewish people and and denying jewish people the right to water and food and all that you wouldn't call it a complex issue at that point because it's not yeah i'll um, even Push back on is, that a little bit because that that emphasizes it as as an interface struggle or or an, um, just you know a pure ethnic struggle. No, it's yeah. it's not even that if you reversed it and it was you know the the Arabs who were you know the ones in power and um, you know Jewish people that that were being attacked. It's more the fact that it's the side with the Western backing. Okay. Yeah, it's the side that has imperialism if, at their back. If the side that did not have the Western backing had more power and even wasn't doing these things, they'd be accused relentlessly and attacked for these things, even if they were made up. They especially would be attacked. You know, well, I should say that especially has more to do with power than how real it is. But they would certainly be attacked if if it you know was real and happening this way. But the side with the Western backing is the one doing the harm. And Me- meanwhile, meanwhile, you're seeing articles about Xinjiang being a open air prison coming out today. Yeah. Like right now, as we speak, you know, trying to again, trying to force this focus on. Well, and this is else. during Aid. Um, you know, I mean, during the mm-hmm. the most holy celebration um, and, and it, a, extremely joyful time. You know, I mean, the, people wait all year for Aid. Right. It's it's an immense uh joyful celebration in in the islamic faith and yeah 
and during Eid, people people in Palestine are watching the relatives die, scared that they're going to die, watching their houses be destroyed, watching you know Israel descend upon them. Meanwhile, because it's a joyful time, people in Xinjiang are enjoying it. And they're being called paid actors. They're they're being claimed mm-hmm. that they partake in a genocide of their own people, and it's you know infuriating for them to watch. It's it's just Islamophobia all the way around, all the way down, yeah. all the way down. It's Islamophobia, and it's it's again, it is it's disgusting. I I these are the times where again when when you talk about does 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 theory matter mm-hmm. and do these works that we read matter. Um, I, I would always say, I mean, <laughs> I wouldn't be doing this if I thought it didn't matter. Um, but again, you you think back to Wretched of the Earth and all the th- lessons that are learned from that work and from that book and from that ideology of 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 resistance to uh, imperialism and resistance mm-hmm. to colonialism. Um, and they just feel it, I, I feel like that that I that lens to look through it should be some that that should be the way you're looking again when you when you, oh well Hamas is they're doing terror again think about the material conditions think about the world that it, that it is in and then try and project forward 20 30 40 50 years what side of this struggle do you want to be on what side of this of 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 human rights do you want to be on um i i i, I don't, don't i don't think there's don't any even way do that because again i you're right but the problem is <laughs> again i'm well meaning but dumb please tell me why the problem I'm is is that people buy the stuff right and so they are looking 20 30 years down in the future and they're trying to be on the right side of history or they just don't care about being on the right side of history and so they really see hamas as terrorists or they really see you know what's going on in xinjiang as as a genocide right it, that's not even what you question you need to question who is telling you what is true and what evidence is there, right? Because someone who does not have your interests in mind could be telling you something that's true. But even yes, then, and, and, and if it is true, you should be going, okay, that's true, that and that's bad. And you should nonetheless be worried about why they're saying it. Yeah. But if they tell you something that's true and they have every, every, every material resource out there to prove it, there will be an evidence and they will present it. Otherwise, and that just doesn't, yeah. Otherwise, if there's just doesn't happen, the yet. evidence is we're saying it over and over and over, or we got one of our lackeys to drum it up as independent and a report, but there's, I mean, there's still no physical evidence to surround it, or, you know, then, then you really see it. And that's something you see, you know, there's no physical evidence to surround that Hamas is a terrorist organization. Where are they blowing up? Palestinians and, and shooting and killing Palestinians, it doesn't happen because Hamas is not a terrorist organization. What, where is Hamas killing more people than the IDF or scaring more people than the IDF or harming more people than the IDF? It's not happening because Hamas is not a terrorist organization, right? They're a defensive group from people who have the right to get their land back, okay? And land back can't just be yep. far off in, in, in Israel and, and going back to Palestine, you know, land back has to be every settler colony, even the United States and Canada and New Zealand. And and so land back has to be a project that starts at home, but also every settler colony is also imperialist and especially is supportive specifically of other settler colonies. And so land back has to go 
everywhere where indigenous people are pushing back on a settler colony, um, and Israel is certainly no exception. So that's that's feeling number one that you should have. It's healthy to have, and that's good. That's a good perspective, and you should always keep that in mind because you know people are scared, people are losing family members, people are, are having tragedy descend upon a joyful and holy time in their lives. And so, you know, empathy and, and compassion for the suffering and understanding the tragedy that goes with it, that should be feeling number one. Uh, another thing, uh, another feeling that it, that you should probably have is tension because this is very tense and could blow up mm. in a lot of directions. Okay. That could be very good directions and, and, you know, Palestine finally being free. And that could be very bad directions and in a much deeper ethnic cleansing or Western back invasion or, you know, it's something that spikes up to, you know, Korean or Vietnam War level stuff, right? I think the, I think the phrase that came out of Israel today was, was they're going to continue the bombings until there is complete quiet. Yeah, which, which is, to me, that, I mean, that is, that there, there's not even coding to that language. That is straight up and down. We're going to bomb them until they shut up, until they, until they submit. Yeah, the, the and best, that is, the best reading is beat them into submission. The, the, the worst reading is annihilate them off the face of the earth. And the truth is, those two are very close things. Yeah, there is no because I think at this point it is you're and you're seeing it out of 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 Palestine. I see again the 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 accounts that I mm-hmm. see that are that are popping up on Twitter is I haven't seen and because again I have no context for this on the ground. All I can all I can read into it is the sources that I see and I I trust again individual sources on the ground as much as anything. Um, people saying uh, you know my family have been here my you know my my father's been here for this many years and, and this is the most in, in, enraged this is the most uh, you know active that they've been there they feel that this is a moment that there, there is something going on right now yes um that is that is going to transcend this that this is one of those back to lenin this is one of those weeks where decades happen sort of times yes um and that again that can be good or that can be very very bad um and and just Anything, anything you can do to support the people of Palestine at this time, um, this this has to be this has to be the biggest focus of of anything. Right yes, now. and and that kind of brings me a little bit to the third thing is is it could go a lot of ways. Again, it, there's not just the tragic way, and there are some serious signs that should spike hope and revolutionary fervor in this moment. There are, you know, signs that Syria and Iran have basically, you know, told and, and, and Hezbollah basically told Hamas, like, you need our, in Egypt too, even Egypt, like, you need our backing? Cool. Just let us know. Give, give us the word. Right. And, and Hamas has not yeah. reached out in desperation yet. Also, again, as I was talking to earlier, that Iron Dome uh, has looked a little bit on the pathetic side and Hamas has gotten right through it. And then Hamas has yet to be dishonest about any report and yet to be wrong about feeling very confident in their resistance. And Israel in this will fight until it's very quiet, have threatened sending ground troops in a ground invasion into Gaza. And Hamas doesn't seem very afraid of it. Additionally, yeah. while the world leaders, because of their power, are clinging to backing Israel, as they always will, there has been, yeah. as we mentioned earlier, a 
pleasantly surprising amount of on the ground protest rallies being much larger and and you know leaks cracks in the the media apparatus to protect Israel people are noticing and and noticing very clearly that Palestine is in the right here and Palestine is facing annihilation and they need to be supported and I believe it was in 2014 the last really really big one of these people actually started following BDS a little bit because of that and that was of course um, you know that's something that 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 worked in South Africa that's something that for a very good reason you know Palestinians are asking for um, after 2014 and the big swell of BDS the reason there's so many states that make following BDS simply boycotting certain products in the free market from big old monopolist anyways illegal is because of how incredibly effective it was and Israel's economy dropped by 50%. Hamas has made it Holy shit. made it very clear that the only airport in and out of Israel um can easily be bombed. Um and they're showing very quickly they have far more advanced weapons than Israelis ever assumed they did. So there is a sense of revolutionary fervor, revolutionary joy and hope at the end of this tunnel that, you know, this could be the clash coming to a head in a way that Palestinians would win their land back. And that would be worth yeah. incredible, joyous celebration. Um, you know, I mean, kind of similar uh, feelings yeah. on a smaller scale with the, the protests in Colombia. We talked about the hope that Colombia would crumble. But also, you know, these protests are, are happening because of, of the raised taxes on farmers and the, the COVID uh, mishandling and, and very tragic things. And they're, they're facing brutal violence from that state. But could you imagine if the two biggest imperialist outposts of the West just crumbled? Right. Times. Or at the very least had this veneer of impenetrability crack. Shattered. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, just just pure, you know, the 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 dam is beginning to crack in, in very real ways. And the question is, is can the dam be broken before it does too much damage to the innocent people that are victimized by its presence? Um, yeah. But the dam is certainly beginning to crack. And so definitely there should be a sense of joy and hope and revolutionary fervor from that too and so those are really the three the three ways that that i hope come naturally <laughs> you know i should can't really tell people how to feel but the the ways i would i would hope no. our ideology drives us to feel and i hope in that order and that emphasis too because there are real people being affected by this in all of those ways that that should draw those feelings amen uh that being said uh <laughs> As, as for a long time you know there all the all the big stuff had been happening domestically it felt like at least yeah. and that that reading about domestic issues and domestic history was important uh while it is definitely not the emphasis today we are still ostensibly a podcast that reads a book uh and that book is black reconstruction in america currently and we are going to continue that reading now uh we're continuing it on page 481 third paragraph down all parties took great pains to assure the colored people that they would sustain and protect them in all their civil and political rights. The Reform Party, headed by General P.G.T. Beauregard and other distinguished white men with written with the written approval of several thousands of the best white citizens, declared, one, that henceforth we dedicate ourselves to the unification of our people. Two, that by our people, we mean all men of whatever race, color, or religion who are citizens of Louisiana who are willing to work for her prosperity. 
Three, that we shall advocate by speech, pen, and deed the equal and impartial exercise of every citizen of Louisiana, of every and political right guaranteed by the Constitution and the laws of the United States, and by the laws of honor, brotherhood, and fair dealing. Four, that we shall maintain and advocate the right of every citizen of Louisiana and of every citizen of the United States to frequent at will all places of public resort and tra- to travel at will on all vehicles <laughs> or public conveyances. This is weird. Upon terms of perfect equality. All right, there we go. With any and every other citizen. All right, so we're, we're talking about- It's a big you know, tourism no- ad. I Visit Louisiana. Visit Louisiana. Damn it. Uh <laughs> God damn it. Yeah, no, that's exactly what it turned into at the end. Um, And we pledge ourselves, so far as our influence, counsel, and example may go, to make this right a live and practical right, and that there will be no misunderstanding of our views on this point. We shall further recommend that hereafter no distinction shall exist among citizens of Louisiana in any of our public schools or state institutions of education, or in any other public institution supported by the state, city, or parish. We shall also recommend that the proprietors of all foundries, factories, and other industrial establishments in work employing mechanics or workmen make no distinction between the two races. When the returns came in, Warmoth, man of big mustache, mm-hmm. sought to count in McHenry, and immediately the opposition set up a rival board, a rival returning board, and counted in Kellogg. They also got a United States judge to back them. Again, there was a practically civil war, and the, with two returning boards and two governments, until President Grant sent down United States soldiers and backed the Kellogg government. Uh, there it is. Uh, the Louisiana elections of 1868, 72, 74, and 76 were one of cloth, intimidation, fraud, and open violence, and murder so that there was no real expression of public opinion. Three remedies were evident. First, a dictator working through a returning board. Secondly, supervision of elections and repression of mob violence by the federal government. Thirdly, arming the black militia. I know which option I want to go with. Um, Also, you know, I mean, another reminder that one of those libertarian talking points is, you know, big government and tyranny and and we got to spread democracy. Big government gets in and, and it's authoritarian and ruins democracy and blah, blah, blah. And you see right here that when they're, quote unquote, against big government, it's they don't want like the federal um, soldiers coming in and cracking down because of the violence and the chaos surrounding the elections for intimidation. Right? It's mafia law. It's it's you know a big racist bullying mob tactic down there. Um, and so it's always the opposite that's true. It's always projection. It's what they want to do. Big government stops them from doing that. Yep. Carpetbaggers were too corrupt and planters too selfish to be successful dictators. The nation recoiled at federal supervision, not only in the drastic form proposed by Sheridan, but even in the milder form of supervised elections. Finally, arms in the hands of the Negro aroused fear both north and south. Not that the Negro could not and would not fight, for these same blacks, largely under their own officers, had beaten back Louisiana whites at Port Hudson and Milken's Bend. But it was the silent verdict of all Americans, America, that Negroes must not be allowed to fight for themselves. They were therefore dissuaded from every attempt at self-protection or aggression by their friends as well as their enemies. Congress hesitated and refused to take action despite the pleas of President Grant. Under the law, he had no alternative but to use federal troops to enforce the Reconstruction laws. The result was open war. 
Three times the soldiers restored to power Republican candidates who had been outed from office by force and fraudulent elections. In retaliation, the planters murdered Negroes and Republicans in cold blood at Colfax, Koshada, Kohada, Koshada, yeah, yeah, I don't know. Kishada, and other places and fought pitched battles in the streets of New Orleans. It was a humiliating and disgraceful situation. Kellogg attempted reforms and succeeded in reducing the tax rate from 21 to 14 mills, but many parishes refused to pay taxes. And while New Orleans Board of Trade, the leading businessmen, approved Kellogg's policy, his reforms could not go far. In fact, just as in South Carolina, there was nothing that Louisiana wanted less at the time than reform through Negro voters and Republican office holders. Evidently, the Negro voter and even the office holder could not be held to blame for the anarchy and turmoil, which are the history of Reconstruction in Louisiana. Practically, so-called Reconstruction in Louisiana was a continuation of the Civil War, with the Negroes as the pawn between the two forces of Northern and Southern capitalists. The Northerners were determined to use the state for their own interest, but willing to admit universal suffrage under property control. While planters united in the secret organizations with poor whites were determined to reduce the labor vote by disenfranchising the Negro. Between these two forces, the Negro was victim and peon. His intelligent and sacrificing leadership was beaten back, deceived, and hamstrung. And finally, discredited by charging it with plans to Africanize Louisiana. The shrewd and venal and dishonest Negro elements were characterized as typical is used as an excuse for cheating and lawlessness by elements in the white population just as dishonest and much more influential. Back of this smokescreen lay the real charge, which was the attempt to subject this state so rich in raw materials and so strategic for trade to a dictatorship of labor rather than an oligarchy of capitalists. David. The panic of, seven, of 1873 and the Democratic House elected to Congress in 1874 settled the manor, matter. We do still have to talk about the panic of 1873 at some point. Uh, I feel like Dr. Du Bois is going to talk I, about maybe, it. Maybe, yeah. Okay. That's why we didn't do it yet. Um, Louisiana Democratic State Convention frankly called itself We the White People of Louisiana, and a committee of Congress sent down to investigate revealed the new temper of the nation. One part of the committee was completely in favor of the planters, while the other part part declared the white league an unscrupulous engine of fraud and murder the crucial election of 1876 came with it anarchy as john sherman and his fellows reported organized clubs of massed armed men formed as recommended by the central democratic committee rode through the country at night marking their course by whipping shooting wounding maiming mutilation and murder of women children and defenseless men whose houses were forcibly entered while they slept and as their inmates fled the pistol rifle the knife and the rope were employed to do their horrid work Crimes like these testified to the scores of witnesses were the means employed in Louisiana to elect a president of the United States. That is terrifying. I also, is that not describing the Ku Klux Klan? Was that with the mask? No, it's exactly describing the Ku Klux Klan. Okay, yeah. Um, the result was two sets of returns for presidential electors and for state offices, two governors and two legislatures. The whole nation waited on the outcome in Louisiana, which would settle the presidential contest. Oh, that's good. Uh, (laughs) They followed an extraordinary period of negotiation, probably unparalleled in modern government. The white folk in Louisiana, with threat of civil war, entered in negotiations with the president and president-elect and arranged a filibuster of 116 congressmen to prevent counting the electoral vote. Oh, good. 
preventing counting an electoral vote, something we definitely haven't seen yeah. lately. Uh, the Hayes Party promised to work for the material prosperity of the South and ally sectional feeling. Nichols and the legislature gave every assurance. They solemnly agreed not to deprive the Negro of any political or civil rights enjoyed by any other class and to educate white and black children with equal advantages. Finally, the filibuster was dropped and the electoral count was finished March 2nd. Hayes became president. An extra-legal commission went to Louisiana in April. By means of money furnished by the Louisiana Lottery Company and large business establishments, the Kellogg government was bribed to disband, and the Nichols legislature obtained a nominal quorum. So the lottery was started to fund the schools, and it wound up being bribe money, which is just... Oh, yeah, God. terrifying and tragic. On April 24th, the federal troops withdrew to their barracks and Louisiana was free for a new period of unhampered exploitation of the working classes. And, and a new section here real quick for um, editorial purposes by Du Bois. In South Carolina, Mississippi, and Louisiana, the proportion of Negroes was so large, their leaders of sufficient power, and the federal control so effective, that for the years of 1868 to 1874, the will of black labor was powerful. And so far as it was intelligently led and had definite goals, it took perceptible steps towards public education, confiscation of large incomes, betterment of labor conditions, universal suffrage, and in some cases, distribution of land to the peasant. Ignorant and vicious leadership, white and black, hindered and even stopped this progress and gradually tended toward a duel between northern and southern capitalists to affect control of labor. This succeeded first in Louisiana and then in Mississippi and finally in South Carolina. In each case, labor control passed into the hands of white southerners, who combined with white labor to oust northern capitalists. And then we get our fun end of chapter... Uh, poem reading whatever yeah. oh twin of monarchy that lives to rob and kill what deviltry here that prostitutes at will that keeps a robber gang in kingly rights enthroned that turns their robberies to legal acts condoned is not the blood as pure of him who lives by toil as he who waxes fat on idleness and spoil ls olivier olivier sorry and then we get all of uh, Dr. Du Bois's fun citations because the man is nothing if not uh, thorough in his documentation. Mm -hmm. And then we move on to chapter 12. Guys, new chapter mid-episode. It's it's towards the end of the episode, too, well, but you know we're going to do it to I, you. I was going to say, before you go into that, and I don't know no. how much time we are going to have on that, uh, because I want to talk a little bit about what he said there in that separate section. Um, because this is something that was really exemplified in the last two chapters, and this is something that's that's very important, right? Under black leadership, uh, this wasn't you know necessarily um, a socialist revolution of of any kind, right? It was certainly just it was America trying to hold itself together, and then slaves jumping at the opportunity to free themselves, and abolition taking hold. But everywhere that that there was real black power, right? You had a pseudo, and unfortunately, you, you can't have a dictatorship of the proletariat under a dictatorship of the bourgeoisie. A state is going to no. be one or the other, and the failures of Reconstruction show that, and show that bare on its face undeniably. Uh, but it also shows how important capitalism rides on racism, and how naturally the uh, struggle is how deeply tied to class struggle 
uh, it is to to fight you know anti blackness and to fight uh, the ramifications of slavery in the United States, right? Because and that goes both for anyone who has class struggle. You know, we have to fight decolonial struggle. It has to be land back. Uh, inclusive of a nation of new Africa and um, total liberation of all those who experience racism, right? And, and any form of bigotry. It has to come with that or you don't complete the class struggle. And additionally, in those struggles, they have to be class-centered because the this was before any of, of that, right? These guys weren't like reading Lenin. Lenin didn't write anything yet or anything like that. You know, maybe that some of them read Marx, maybe <laughs> not, right? But the fact of the matter is they immediately recognized their class interests. And so when they came to power, they served their own interests. And the interests in ending racism were expanded social programs. They were rights for labor. They were land to the peasants and land redistribution. Uh, they were, you know, um, confiscation from the wealthy, right? Their enemies were the capitalists and the plantation owners, and neither of the wealthy served their interests. Now, as far as political parties, there was different alliances, and of course, of course, black people were allying with the Republicans because that was the abolitionist party, and um, of course, Republicans were very, you know, free market because they they stood with northern capitalists but that was standing against the plantation owners and where they passed laws and their policy was still very it wasn't pro northern business even if that was their political alliance because of party it was pro labor right and all of labor all of labor um was benefited and you didn't have to tell that to black people they knew that it was white people that needed for their class struggle to beat back and to beat back racism, and it was white people not being anti-racist enough and and fighting for their racism that took the power away from the people that allowed the dictatorship of the bourgeoisie to remain after the civil war and reconstruction. It was white people that did that, and just the same now, you know, it's important for everyone to realize how deeply tied these anti-bigotry and decolonial struggles are with class struggle. But that's both directions, and it's it's the people on the oppressive side of, of any of these struggles that always find their way. You know, it's not black people that need to work with racists, as we've discussed before. It's, it's people need to stop being racist or get the hell out of the way, right? As yeah. You deal with the same thing with, you know, transphobia. You deal with the same thing with having, you know, any issue with land back or being anti-indigenous. You deal with the same thing with being sinophobic, having pro-imperialist views certainly as we talk about the decolonial struggle in palestine right now it, it's all the same right it's those whoever sides with the the empowering side that gives them a little bit of comfort that has to go away from that okay that has to be a traitor uh a class traitor in a sense within that struggle so that they can take part in the greater class struggle okay that's the side that always has to come about and so these are inexorably tied in both directions and once again, this book is absolutely exemplifying it by doing nothing but giving us an honest history from the voice. And this is where it really it really hits home because again, it, it is it is attacking a position that we may not recognize, that may not be something that is overtly taught anymore. Mm-hmm. But the the thing about history and the thing about the the way history iterates itself and progresses is it builds on itself and it builds in these narratives. So when you're taught about reconstruction, 
innately all of these ideas that Du Bois is fighting back against, this is not the mainstream narrative that you are taught. You are essentially taught Reconstruction failed for these reasons. And they've they've gotten you know they've they've gotten the dog whistles out and they've probably probably narrowed it down a little bit and tried to make it a little bit more you know you know whitewashed and and sanitized because it's so far away now that we can remove ourselves from it and we don't have to actively engage with it. But seeing seeing all the ways that this is obviously um, an anti-black narrative and, mm-hmm. a, and a narrative that that explicitly is racist and tied into racism and nothing else because it is it is th- there's there's no evidence for it the voice goes through line by line there is no evidence for these claims there is nothing that goes for it. so what is it other than narrative yeah what is it other than than a than a purely made up construct to try and justify this continued feeling of white supremacy that has to exist for this country to exist this country cannot exist as it does Without that bedrock of white supremacy, it is baked into the equation. It is built into everything else we do. And unless you are willing to to really engage with that and fight back with it the way the boys does here, you're never going to get past any of that. You're never going to get true history. You're never going to understand the real root of what the struggle was because the boys has framed it pretty clearly. Yeah. The, the struggle was labor versus capital. That was the struggle. It wasn't black versus white. It was labor versus capital. And the black the black people were used as pawns in that struggle. Um, not not trying to delineate the impact that they had. They were they were actively fighting yeah. for their own emancipation and their own humanity and their own ability to govern themselves. Well, and they and yet they fought so hard that an extremely extremely racist structure in the system had to give up slavery, had to, to, to come to, to at least in principle before all of the underlying racist motives violently came back, abolition, because they won that. Yeah. And so, like, we shouldn't belittle their struggle in that they did that themselves. And as the boys shows, they competently did everything they could and fought their ass off during Reconstruction. And it was just pure, unadulterated racism and class interest that came just raining down on them. And I'm glad you stopped me because, yeah, that is about as good. It's going to be a little shorter episode. Yeah. There were some technical difficulties this week, there people. Was. But, you know, I, I think, I th- you know, you don't need to know about those. Um, but I think ne- starting next week, you know, it was a shorter, it was a shorter. We got to finish the chapter. We, we got, got to finish everything off. And starting next week, we're going to be diving into the white proletariat. Now, this is interesting because up to now, the focus has been mostly on the black proletariat. Yeah. Uh, And that that was in the states where it was saying the black population outnumbered the white population, right? That's what what just Mm -hmm. wrapped up with it in a little section. Exactly. Starting in Chapter 12, we are delving into the white proletariat in Alabama, Georgia, and Florida. And as a teaser, the uh, intro to that chapter is how in those southern states where Negroes formed a minority, there ensued strife between planters, poor whites, Negroes, and carpetbaggers, which after varying forms of alliance finally ended in the subjection of black labor. So, guys, it's going to be a great and exciting and very, <laughs> I'm sure, uplifting couple uh, couple pages that we're going to get through here when we dive into that. But we will uh, we will save that struggle for next week. 
Uh, that being said, this is Mark's Madness Pod. We read books. Um, if you wanted to reach out to us, there are a number of ways that you can do that. The first of which is through our email address, which is marksmadnesspod at gmail.com. For all of you who have signed us up for spam lists at that email address, I, I, oh, mm, mm, I love it. I love it. Doesn't <laughs> having to hit unsubscribe to a hundred spam emails never, never brings me down and, and, and makes me question my humanity on a given day. It is nope, funny never because, does. Like, there's just enough effort that they still send it in with like the wrong first name, even though they know our first names. Oh yeah, yeah, no, no. It's it's people are using their own first and last names and then our email address, and it's like, what are you trying to gain access to that you just need to fa- make up a fake email? Why does it have to go to us? I don't know. Um, <laughs> I'm expecting four thousand new ones now. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. Um, that being said, other ways you can contact us are on Twitter. Our Twitter is at Mark's Madness Pod on Twitter. Um, you can also reach out to us in Discord. Our Discord server is linked in our Twitter bio, um, and it is a just a fun little community of people that uh, listen to this show or listen to other our other shows in this vein and want to talk to other people and want to feel some connection to humanity. And especially during these these fun times of quarantine and isolation, uh, uh, having a group of like minded people you can talk to and vent and. Uh, it is it is a nice outlet. It is something that I am eternally grateful for. The community there is fantastic. I I am grateful for it every day. Um, so if you want to join in that, you are more than welcome to. Um, that being said, uh, David, I think it's disclaimer week. I think it's disclaimer week every week at this rate. Um, <laughs> David, uh, we have to fill time. Disclaim for no, me, buddy. Disclaim. It's fine because the the disclaimer, even if it's just kind of off the cuff and and it's it's you know my blathering on, it's still important. Um, so obviously, we formed this podcast just because you know I had a friend who wanted to read a book that I read before, and I know that reading theory is always better in in person, and you always need to discuss it as a group uh, for better context for um, you know just conversation about what the theory says and what it means to today and so you know nathan and i were like hey since it's just two of us it's a pretty small group why don't we record this in case we want people to listen to it and when we got far enough we decided to go ahead with it so here we all are um and so because of that we certainly hope and the vision since the beginning is that whatever organization you're out there doing you're on the ground organizing with whatever reading group or political education they have tied to them uh, hopefully you're reading these works you are having that kind of discussion group and we can be complimentary. We can just, you know, give deeper context, tie back to today a little more or whatever time frame it was when we recorded said episode. If you are binging it or following along with a group, um, you know, or giving a little better context to it just so you can, you know, add more to the discussion or get more out yourself. Uh, save for that. Save that uh, you're just reading it on your own because these are pretty long works. Uh, hopefully we can be that reading group and we can give you someone to read uh, with and discuss it with um, and, you know, get more out of it and better understand the context with. Beyond that, whether it's a book like this where we're basically reading word for word and we're like an enhanced ebook, uh, or a book we summarize a little more and and just you know give you basic quotes and, and understandings of the chapters. Whatever we can do to make these works more accessible to you, um, and whatever you do, make sure that the reason we make this accessible is because you need theory. You need it to guide your actions, and putting theory into action is something called praxis. And we need to be out there um, organizing and doing praxis with each other. We talk about, because all of these events are coming up right now, uh, the old Lenin quote, there's you know decades where nothing happens and, and weeks where decade happens. But 
Lenin was meaning in historical events. Lenin knows good and well that the decades where nothing happens are actually just decades where organizing happens. And that's why it's important to be on the ground, um, to be participating in joining a group, even if you're not ready to start organizing yourself, to form a small group, um, especially if you're an experienced organizer or you see a need. Um, whatever it is, you know, on the ground help. But without the theory backing it, it's just charity. So the theory drives it to be praxis, drives it to be revolutionary action where you're organizing other people with that political education. Uh, so without theory, uh, that practice is just charity. And uh, without praxis, the theory means absolutely nothing. They are tied at the hip. They go hand in hand. Oh, yeah. As always, it's so good. It never gets old. Uh, that being said, this is Mark's Madness Pod. My name is Nathan. My name's David. And we will talk to you all next week. Bye. Bye.